0: The Rural Health Voice, Episode 19, Residency Programs. Welcome to the Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. What happens after someone finishes medical school? Dr. Maurice Nida Designated Institutional Officer at Lonesome Pine Hospital Family Practice, joined me to discuss how training in rural communities means learning to do more for your patients. Well, welcome, Dr. Nida.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: So let's start with the basics. What is a residency program?
1: Residency program is a postgraduate medical education where we train graduates of medical school Uh, to become practicing physicians.
0: All right. And how are the residents selected? Is there a process similar to applying to medical school?
1: Uh, There there is. uh, They apply through uh, uh, what we call ARIS, which is a residency um, matching program. Uh, We interview each resident that we have, and uh, and we get them from all over. We get them from Texas. We get them from uh, uh, California. Of course, we get them. From Tennessee, the the Bus school of osteopathic medicine, which is our home affiliate medical school that we're associated with. We get a lot from them, but we get them all over.
0: And in the selection process, is you talked about them being matched. So do the residents get to pick where they want to go? Do they say apply to, you know, three or five or however many? How does that process work?
1: They can apply to hundreds if they want to, but most, most, Postgraduate doctors apply to maybe four or five programs that they're very interested in, and they interview at each residency and then they pick their choice if they pick their number one choice and we pick them as our number one choice, then that's considered a match and then they they come up they come up to us for three years of training in family practice
0: so do all medical students get matched with the program?
1: No, they do not. Some of them don't get to match their first program, first selection. Let's say if you have a resident that, you know, was was fair, but was somewhat academically weak, and they wanted to match with cardiovascular surgery. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and, and the cardiovascular surgeons, you know, they, they require high board scores and uh, a lot of extra. That resident didn't match uh, if the program ranked them as number ten and uh, uh, they had ten other pla uh, residents ahead of them, well then therefore that resident wouldn't match
0: so you talked about a, a cardiovascular surgery program. are there different types of residencies or is it just a matter of location such as say Chicago versus southwest virginia
1: no there there's hundreds of different uh, residencies. Not only are there residencies, there's also fellowships after residencies. Uh, so, you, you know, to give you some example of residencies, internal medicine, family practice, pediatrics, OBGYN, um, neurology, uh, psychiatry, um, uh, to name a few of the primary care uh, residencies. And then uh you, you also have cardiovascular fellowships that you can do. You can do addiction medicine fellowships. Uh, there's hundreds of fellowships you can do post-residency training.
0: So pretty much for every kind of medicine you might want to go into, there's a residency for that.
1: There is a residency. That's great.
0: So, the residents or individuals who have completed medical school, are they then considered employees of the residency program? Do they receive a salary?
1: They they are. They receive a salary. They're considered um, uh, employees of the hospital system that owns the residency. Uh, For example, our residents that come to Lonesome Pine Family Practice are Lonesome Pine employees.
0: And considering the you know, student debt load that a lot of medical school graduates carry. Ha- Does that, the salary affect where they might want to go? Are there is there a different price tag with being able to go to Southwest Virginia versus maybe a large metro area?
1: Well, th- they're surely not going to make enough to pay off their student loans. Let's put it that way first and foremost. They, they will be paid enough, and, and this is with all residency programs, uh, most residencies, you can expect right around, let's say, a ballpark of $50,000 a year. Of course, that's, that's just going to be enough for that resident to live on uh, until they get out to be a full-fledged practicing physician.
0: Sure, and of course, that 50000 is going to go a lot further in southwest Virginia than it is in northern Virginia, D.C. suburbs.
1: Oh, absolutely. But at the same time, the residencies may pay more there. They may pay... Let's say in Washington D.C., they may pay sixty thousand, where we pay fifty thousand.
0: So, from the perspective of a resident, what's the difference between a university-based site, say at a teaching hospital, and a community hospital? What are some of the pros and cons? Um,
1: yeah, you 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 bring up a very interesting subject, uh, and, and and it's what we do here in Southwest Virginia. We have community-based residency training programs, uh, which means that they train at small community hospitals, they train at private physicians' offices, and learn to practice in rural medicine. Whereas a university-based residency is predominantly a residency that you're going to find like at the University of Virginia that has a hospital that's just dedicated to the medical school uh most of their training, or then at that point, will be inside a big university hospital. And, and it totally depends upon the resident, Beth, uh, as to what pursuit of training they want. If I was going to practice in rural West Virginia or rural Southwest Virginia or, or eastern Tennessee, I'd want a residency program that taught me how to handle most of what I'm going to see as a primary care physician in the rural setting. I'm not going if I'm trained at the university settings, I'm not going, you know, at the university settings, they have subspecialty support, such as endocrine, neurosurgery, In Southwest Virginia in their community-based programs. We have to teach them how to handle those type of situations until they can get a support of a subspecialist, which may be two hours away.
0: Sure, it's one of the things we know about our rural communities is, is the specialists often aren't there, and people
1: exactly. have to go
0: a long distance or simply do without. So if our primary care well, providers Well, can- uh,
1: I'll give you a prime example of that is the field of psychiatry. Sure. We, we have one psychiatrist that um, is totally full. It's hard for her to accept any new patients. And if the primary care physician did not do it, And if we didn't teach our residents how to do it, people in our area would not get psychiatry intervention. And and that's a sad situation, but that's the truth of it. Uh, If it wasn't for the primary care physician, these patients wouldn't receive psychiatry care. And and that's just one example.
0: Oh, yeah. And probably the same for pretty much any specialist we could think of.
1: Yeah, rheumatology, rheumatology. Mm -hmm. endocrine if we didn't you know and and that goes back to what i'm saying that if you want rule type of practice then the best type of residency is a community-based residency that we teach you how to handle the basics of all these subspecialty problems
0: so that's looking at the perspective from the resident what about the person supervising the resident is there a difference in the process of teaching a medical graduate in a large site versus a small one?
1: I, I think they are. As, as a 30-year veteran in medical education, most of my career has been in teaching rural health uh, to these residents or these medical students who are graduating. You know, I, I have to teach them how to care for diabetes. I have to ha- teach them how to care for schizophrenia. Whereas if I'm in a big university setting, I would teach them how to refer to that subspecialty and how to do the follow-up. To me, it's totally different type of teaching. Uh, university-based teaching, you have the support at your fingertips. Community, rule-based training, you must know how to at least handle the basics of these problems.
0: Sure. Do everything you can in-house and make it easier for the patient. Yeah. Sure.
1: And, 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 you know, you bring up another uh, topic that I found in this area. Patients don't want to travel. They want to stay home. You know, they don't necessarily enjoy going to, quote, the big centers. They don't want to go all the way eight hours up to the University of Virginia. They want to stay here with us, you know. And, if we, and to give you an example of that, we've got a urologist now. Ten to one, they had rather go to this urologist than to travel all the way to Roanoke to maybe see another one. And uh, our, just because you're local and in a rural area doesn't mean that you're still not good, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> just because it's in the big city, Baker is not necessarily better.
1: Yeah, Baker's not always better. The grass is not always greener on the other side.
0: Well, I would think, you know, you talked about people who don't want to travel to get their medical care. They want to get stuff locally, which you know makes a lot of sense. You know, it's time and it's money to go someplace else. But I would also think for the community, you'd want people to stay locally and, and economically keep their dollars locally. You don't want them to go to, say, Charlottesville and buy gas and buy food and get a hotel room and maybe go to the movies or go shopping. You don't want that money to leave your local community.
1: Well, uh, and we don't, but, but we don't want the burden to go on to our patients either, but we want to be able to take good care of our patients locally and, and, and not have them spend extraordinary large amounts of money to travel to these universe. Now, Don't get me wrong, the University of Virginia helps us out tremendously with having places for these patients to stay, and and one of the things that the university does very well is coordination of care. If this patient needs a specialized MRI of the brain and needs to see a neurologist plus a neurosurgeon, they are very good at coordinating that into one trip. Now, my hat's off to them when it comes to that. And I'm not just trying to blow up the University of Virginia, but I'm telling you what I've observed as a 30-year clinical physician.
0: Absolutely. So is there a benefit to the community to having a rural residency program? What happens in a small town beyond the training of the individual?
1: Well, here's your benefit. Sixty to seventy percent of the kids that I call them kids because I'm much older than they are, (laughs) I don't know if it's politically correct or not. But let's say my students, my residents that I train. Guess what? We we retain sixty to seventy percent of those we train locally, put back into our community as primary care physicians. Not only do we do that through our program that we have, and and I think Dr. Bentley's internal medicine program is is somewhat similar. Uh, Johnston Memorial Hospital's internal medicine family practice, somewhat similar. We're able to put local kids, local trained doctors, to become local family physicians, and that's a big plus. If you look at the whole situation, Ninety percent of these kids would stay within a hundred miles, or go into some type of primary care underserved area, and that's a big boost for us. the The uh, residents that are trained at these big tertiary care centers don't necessarily feel comfortable coming to a rural area where they're their number one defense, the number one person. The one that has to take care of everything, sometimes they don't feel as comfortable as someone who's actually trained in this area.
0: Oh, Absolutely. You want people to understand how rural communities work, how rural medicine works, Right? how, you know, one of the things we know in in rural areas, you know, the patient in exam room three, they might be your neighbor, they might be your aunt, they might be your school principal, they might be your Sunday school. School teacher, they might be all of those things at the same time.
1: Yes, and, and, and you know, you by training the resident here, they understand the culture of our patients. And, and to give you an example, a fit and a spell are two different things. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest about, and, and and you know, and that's not putting our people down. Our people in this area are very. Very fine folks. They're very intelligently educated. And I wouldn't give you nothing to swap my patients for somebody else. But our our culture is unique to our area. And, and to be able to understand that culture, it is tremendously a benefit if I train you in that culture.
0: Absolutely. I think... You know, rural Virginia, rural Appalachia in general tends to be dismissed as as backwards and and sort of stuck in time. But the reality is it's not a different time. It's just a different culture. It's a different place.
1: That's right. I I 100% agree with that. And and these people... You know, we owe it to our people of our community to provide the best care we can for them. And it doesn't matter that it's Southwest Virginia versus Charlottesville, Virginia versus Knoxville, Tennessee. They deserve our best. And and I try to instill that into every resident. No matter what walk of life you come from, you give that patient 120% each time you face them.
0: So, if there was a community that wanted to grow their own culturally competent rural residents, if if a small hospital wanted to start a residency program, what would it need to do? Is there some sort of certification process?
1: Oh yes, it's a. I've had the distinct pleasure of starting three programs from scratch. Um, um, uh, started the internal medicine at Norton Community Hospital. I was the founding. Back in those days, we called it director of medical education. Uh, I founded a, a internal medicine program, which still exists there under the leadership of Dr. Jody Bentley, who was my second cl- was in my second class of residents from uh, uh, Pikeville College School of Osteopathic Medicine at that time and uh, he is now the current DME. But, you know, to start a program from scratch takes a huge commitment from the hospital system, takes a huge commitment from the faculty that you're going to recruit, but it is a very tedious and long process. We must submit application to the ACGME, which is American College of Graduate Medical Education, who certifies all teaching programs, and um it's a very lengthy it's a very expensive application process, and you have to have someone who's had time, experience and knows how to start these programs, just putting in the applications one step you've got to develop your faculty, you've got to educate. Your faculty how to teach you've got to educate the hospital you know some hospitals having residents that's a new thing for them, but you let that same hospital have these residents for six months, and they will come and shoot you if you try to take them away. <laughs> that's how much they you know depend on them then but it it is a it's a very hard process and it's not overnight. To do this, uh, it takes many, many days, many gray hairs, and that's why I'm completely white headed <laughs> now. <laughs> but it, it does take a lot of time and commitment, Beth.
0: Sure. So, the, the programs that you started, how have they evolved over the years?
1: Well, uh, uh, the internal medicine that I started, Dr. Jody Bentley now has it. Uh, he, uh, I, I was a founding director of medical education that started that program in 2002, I think. And that program has been very successful, still is a very successful program under his leadership. Uh, we're, uh, under the ballot healthcare system, we're having a, a very g- good start at collaboration between all the programs that ballot has. And uh, this program's up and running and has 30 residents a year, uh, which I'm very proud of. Uh, Dr. Bentley's done a great job with it after I left, and uh, uh, it continues to grow and do well. We've also, uh, at that time, uh, had a family practice, but there wasn't much interest in family practice at that time when I started internal medicine, and so... That program was closed, and all the residents was merged into the internal medicine program. That, again, still exists at this time. We've also got uh, the Lonesome Pine Family Practice Residency that I started, and that was in 2008 uh, that that one was started. And um, it's a a very robust uh, program. It has 18 residents, six a year. Uh, it's got a hundred percent pass rate on uh family practice and, uh boards, and uh, again, we retain sixty to seventy percent of our graduates into local practice as practicing physicians here so yes, both of those programs are up and running well and doing extremely well. I think Ballot should be very proud of its rural based programs and uh and we've seen a lot of support from ballot uh, for our programs.
0: Absolutely. When you think about, you know, what it means when you say you have six people a year and maybe 60% stay in in the area, so that's, you know, four to five new physicians a year in communities that are traditionally healthcare professional shortage areas. They just do not have the number of providers that they need.
1: Yes, yeah. And, And I cannot recruit a quality resident that I have in my program. I, I just can't recruit that caliber of resident to this area without them being trained here. In other words, we're training our next generation who are great kids. They're great physicians. They they contributed tremendous to the community. I cannot recruit a physician from New York or or wherever that will still have the same standards that these residents have when they come out training.
0: Yeah. Real passion for the community and the people in it.
1: Yes. Yes. Yes, ma'am.
0: So thinking about that community, you know, one of the things I know with healthcare professionals in our rural communities is you're very much a, a big fish in a small pond and subject to uh, oh uh, oversight from people who might not necessarily uh be your supervisors, but you're definitely on display, so to say.
1: Oh, absolutely, and, and and you know our residents, our attending physician, our faculties, you know, you you may see them at the football game as a sideline physician. Uh, uh, you know, we we try to get involved in the community as best you know as best we can, and to give you an example, two Tuesday ago. We done school fiscals completely free, used our time, our equipment for approximately 200 students.
0: Fabulous.
1: And that was a free, that was a free service that, that we're glad to offer our community. You know, it, it get, and it does a couple of things, and I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of selfish, but it gives exposure to my, my residents, to the community. Uh, it gives the community... And I think this is more important: exposure to my residents who may have never come in contact with a resident physician if they hadn't have done that. So we like doing that. You know, we we also help support the uh, see and treat program that uh, looks for female um, um, care, uh, mammographies, Pap smear, uh, you know, female type of cancers. We participate in that along with the um, uh, Norton and Medicine Residency Program. We come together as one unit and and help supply the need of our female patients in our community.
0: If a medical student who is interested in rural health care came to you for advice on how to prepare for residency, what would you tell that person?
1: Come up and spend a month with me. Come and do a rotation with me. Let me show you how we do it. Let's have some fun. Uh, you know, I, I tell the residents all the time, medicine's still fun. It's still fun for me. Uh, it's fun for me to teach. You know, if I wasn't a teaching physician, to be honest with you, Beth, I don't think I would be as enthusiastic as I am sitting here today.
0: And if someone in a community was concerned about the lack of health care professionals in their small town, in their rural county, what could they do to address that situation? What steps could they take?
1: They could support residency programs. Uh, and, and what I mean by that, become a patient of a residency clinic that trains these residents. My patients, when they come here, they know they belong to me. But they enjoy teaching young residents. They enjoy, you know, I've got patients who's been with me 30 years that knows to look at the resident and say, well, Dr. Knight, don't want you to look at the chart, but here's my symptoms. He wants you to try to figure this out. They know as much about teaching residents as I do, and, and they get a big fulfillment out of that. So, I, you know, I challenge people in the community, go to the teaching residency clinics not get to know these young doctors. Get to participate in the care that they give patients. And, and, and most important, be able to participate in the education of these residents. Uh, patients, some my patients do particularly, they, re, they know that they're contributing to the education of these residents. They know that they have a rare disease they know how to teach that disease state as well as I do because they've here 20 years of practice. <laughs> they've heard me give the lecture 20 years. You know.
0: Absolutely. This is great. And if you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and health care in rural America?
1: Do what we're doing now times two.
0: More residency programs in rural communities for everybody.
1: Yes. You know, and, and there is rural residencies that are needed, which is another thirty minute thirty minute broadcast. If you want to get into that, but, but but again, to give you an example, we need to start a psychiatry residency. We need to start a addiction medicine fellowship. You know, that's just two right off the top of my head that our community don't have that we could fulfill through the same system that we're doing now.
0: All right, we'll save that for another podcast for another day.
1: <laughs>
0: All right, well, thank you, Dr. Nida. I appreciate you joining me today. Oh, thank you. That's Dr. Maurice Nida of Lonesome Pine Hospital advocating the benefits of training doctors in rural communities. If your hospital or clinic wants to recruit a physician that has been trained in Southwest Virginia, join Dr. Nida and his residents October 18th at Brakes Interstate Park visit the show notes for details. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.